Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed. I have to sneeze. And we're back. Uh, hey, everybody, welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, a podcast where we review whatever the hell our patrons force us to. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is uh, Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Um, how was that sneeze? Was it a good one? It was really, it was yeah. so good. It was musical. <laughs> sang the birds out of the trees yeah um and that, that, that like our theme music i don't know why it's and uh our our patrons do select what we view on this show yes. but we do get to steer them in certain directions well we, we give them four choices based on from a, any given streaming service yeah. every episode of critically reclaimed we pick a streaming service and we try to cycle in and out some of the big ones come back every month or two mm-hmm. Occasionally, we veer off into a weird direction, try some new streaming service we've never tried before. But basically, we pick a streaming service. You pick two films you've never seen before on that service. I pick two films I've never seen before. Sometimes we narrow it down further into a genre or a decade. Uh, and then we ask our patrons to pick from those four films. That's right. And uh, the streaming service we chose uh, is the one owned by the Disney Corporation. <sighs> Well, wait, uh, but that actually doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> I was also, about to they say also they own Hulu and they, ESPN. They own so, so many. So uh, the movies on ESPN. Actually, there might be movies on I ESPN. I think there's at least documentaries. Probably sports movies. Uh, but yeah. we chose uh, Disney Plus and <laughs> Disney Disney Plus, which uh, runs your favorite shows like Fuzz Bucket and um, uh, oh, oh god, uh, Meet the Deedles and. It's a movie. Yeah, I guess Fuzz Bucket's a movie yeah. too. Uh, Tron Uprising. Tron Uprising is on yeah. is on there. Um, I, I think it should be. I actually don't know if it is. And, and at least three episodes of Gargoyles. Uh, <laughs> they're kind of obscure, but we found some movies on Disney Plus that uh, one or both of us hadn't seen, and the film you chose. And it was a scorcher, by the way. This is a very very close race. Well, do you remember all, all four of our choices? Actually, that's a great question. Yeah. I remember a few, but let me uh, let me confirm. Uh, uh, D- what, Disney Plus what the, is what the finalists were. There are a lot of sort of gaps in my uh, sort of my classic Disney animation consumption. A lot of like the the canonical animated films I just haven't seen. Yeah, or or I haven't seen since I was like maybe three or four years old. So yeah, you I didn't grow well up on that steady them. appetite. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I the the ones I did watch of sort of the Disney canon. I saw Cinderella numerous times. Mm-hmm. I saw Sleeping Beauty numerous times, and I, oh, yeah. I was kind of fond of Sleeping Beauty. Oh, Sleeping Beauty is one of the best. One of my favorites. Um, I saw The Little Mermaid. That came out when I was in, like, junior high school. Yeah. So that one kind of drifted into my consciousness. What was that, 89? Uh, 89, that yeah. movie came out. And I, I saw sort of, like, that that run they had and sort of, like, the... Yeah, the Disney From 889 until uh, around Tarzan when, you know, everybody, I and everybody else sort of fell out. Um, But, yeah, a lot of those earlier ones, like Lady and the Tramp and Dumbo and Pinocchio, these are films I haven't really seen. Uh. But we didn't put those on the list. <laughs> no, no, we, we actually we put chose, some live action. Uh, yeah, some of the live action films that Disney put yeah. out. Because Disney has a rather interesting legacy of live action films. We used to explore it on a podcast called Not on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, over on our... Over scrape on, up all of the films that weren't on the service. Yeah, uh, on Disney, on uh, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, uh, we had, we did for about a year or so, we, mm. did, a, we did a Patreon-exclusive podcast where we focused on basically everything Disney owns with, again, a few things might be legal issues where there's might be some confusion over what they acquired or what they own the rights to. But for the most part, anything Disney owns can be on Disney plus. There's no reason why not. Again, there may be an exception here or there, but there's no reason other than Disney didn't bother. Uh, and so we, we did was we looked at some of the more prominent, more interesting, or even more esoteric films that, theoretically should be on Disney Plus, but mysteriously we're not. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we we rounded up something really interesting or really, really cool. Uh, we found um, an early Disney live-action animation hybrid, mostly live-action with like some animated segments that I'm very fond of called So Dear to My Heart. About, about a little sheep. Yeah, it's about a boy. It's about a live-action film about a boy on a farm in like the 1910s or so. And there's the the sheep gives birth to a black sheep, and the mom, the grandma who runs the farm, wants to get rid of the black sheep because it's bad luck. Bad and the luck. kid has the kid has to come up with something that this black sheep can do that will be useful on the farm in order to keep the sheep. That's the whole movie. That's it. 
And yet it is it's 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 sickly sweet, but it is very, very charming. And the animation and the animated uh uh songs are really incredible. <laughs> like it's, there's definitely nothing wrong with it. Like it's just it's a it's it's weird that it's yeah. not available. Like it's a genuinely sweet Good movie. Yeah, it's one of were... Walt Disney's favorite films that he ever made. So that was a fun discovery. Yeah. For, for the most part, we did discover that the reason a lot of these films aren't on Disney Plus is uh, for two, one of two reasons. Mm. One, they're bad. Yeah, uh, there's and, quite and a few bad ones. Really yeah. had to, there's no reason for them to scoop them up. And uh, the second reason was they're incredibly racist. Yeah, they not all of them. Some sort of racist caricature. In but them. a lot of Disney movies, especially but a lot of the live of... action stuff. Had a we, lot of racism in it. Yeah, we kind of gave up when we saw the film One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. That was uh, the straw that broke the camel's yeah, back. That movie was so unbelievably racist mm. that we were just like, I think we're done. We, we found, we found yeah, the, the yeah. real reason why a lot of these aren't in Yeah, this yeah, is reason to be ashamed. Peter Ustinov plays a Chinese man in that movie. Oof. And like, and, and, uh, that, and again, it's worse on top of that. Like, it's not, it's not just the fact that there was yellow face. It was just offensive like, oh, in, it was, its, it, in its it, construct it, and its storytelling and banked, its characterizations. In a lot of stereotypes. Just so. awful. Just a truly awful uh, experience. The film we're talking about today uh, is relatively well celebrated uh, uh-huh. among the, the kinds of people who were around either when these movies came out in mm-hmm. like the 60s. Yeah. Uh, in this case, 70s. Yeah. Uh, or were... Uh, scouring their local video store for those uh, white clamshell cases that had all of the the Disney live-action films in them. Indeed, this was one of the first films Disney ever put out on home video. Uh, The the nominees, and uh, you can probably guess which one uh, based on, like, oh, it was one of the first films ever put out on home video uh, based on the nominees. Uh, The nominees included uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks from 2007, which I believe was a Fox acquisition. Um, The Lizzie McGuire movie... Uh, which which had a fighting chance in this. Uh, the I think the closest runner up was the Shaggy Dog, uh, specifically the 1959 version. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the winner, the winner of our poll, I, I, I'm mildly surprised. Okay. Again, it's not, it's it's well remembered. It's an amusing title, uh, but uh, I really didn't think it was going to have that much heat behind it. Uh, is the Don Knotts, Bill Bixby, Slim. Pickens, Tim Conway. Tim Conway. I was gonna get. I was getting to him. Uh, masterpiece. Anyway, it's the Apple Dumpling Gang. I had never seen the Apple Dumpling Gang. Mm. I thought there'd be more dumplings. Um, there are some. the The phrase "apple dumpling" is a really gross pair of words to me. <laughs> Really? Because I don't think of food. I I think of of, of horse apples. I th- I think of oh, I think of poo. <laughs> thanks, so the, Pitney. Thanks for thanks and, for, and I thanks for was, starting this classy right off the bat. Well, I I knew this was a western, and I thought that the title alluded to like horse manure. You really thought that Disney and, made a horse manure movie in the seventies? Like it would be like yeah, a little bit of a joke, like the Apple Dumpling Gang. Was, I mean, I guess it might be, but it really isn't that kind of a movie. I suppose not. It's actually well, Disney, it's, and all I all I knew about the film going in was yeah. that it had uh, uh, Don Knotts and Tim Conway yeah. as as uh, leaders of I thought a whole gang yeah. of inept like bank robbers. That was the in, image in, I had. In my, that was the image I had in my head as well. Uh, it turns uh, out they are supporting characters. They're way off side, to the side. characters. Yeah, but seriously, yeah, based on everything I had seen, all the production stills I'd ever seen, mm. I think I'd seen a trailer here and there. The implication was, and this was like their first pairing. Together, uh, the implication was that they were the comedy stars of this. This was like a incredible Mr. Limpid Ghost and Mr. Chicken Don Knotts vehicle. Yeah, uh, Don Knotts, of course, is uh, a comedy titan. Uh, he was on the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, he was on that other show. Uh, you know the one, May- uh, Mayberry. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, he's he's a very very funny man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not always in funny movies. But he had a very particular hmm. uh, dweeby, uh, fearful comic archetype. Yeah. And it's always interesting, and I will say this, I like this about him, to see him try to play against that and be kind of intimidating, because he's trying to be the tough guy in this one. And that's yeah, admittedly Tim, pretty funny. He, he's the straight man to Tim Conway. Now, yeah. Tim Conway is was one of comedy's great, gifted physical comedians. Yeah. Uh, look up the bit uh, from the Carol Burnett show mm. where he is trying to administer anesthesia to Harvey Corman as a dentist. I've never seen this and, bit. And he keeps, like, he has this needle full of anesthesia and he accidentally keeps sticking himself <laughs> with it. 
And of course, each time he does it, that part of his body goes numb. So at one point he sticks himself in the foot and he has to swing his leg over a wheeled chair and puts it in his, in his arm. And so he has to like find a new way to hold the needle. And the the funniest, he's great, but of course, Harvey Corman is not holding it together. He's just laughing out loud at Tim Conway. Tim Conway and Harvey Corman were a great comedy pair. Tim Conway pairs pretty well with anybody. Yeah. Tim Conway uh, and Don Knotts did a lot of family-friendly films. We've probably seen them in a lot of things. Uh, But uh, it also stars uh, Bill Bixby, uh, who is so well-known for television that this was his last feature film. (laughs) <laughs> he never made another feature was, film after when was, this. Uh, when was The Incredible Hulk? It was Shortly the, after this. Shortly after. Shortly. Right. Bill Bixby is probably best known today for The Incredible Hulk. He played uh, David Banner because they thought Bruce Banner was that was a distracting alliteration. It sounded like a cartoon character. Mm-hmm. And then in the comics, they decided to fix this by changing Bruce Banner's middle name to David. Bruce David Banner. Bruce David Banner. So he's, they're trying to say he's the they're trying they're trying to say like it's kind of you know like whatever the most popular version of the character is what the comics want to try yeah, to I guess so. sort of approach. So oh, that, if they TV, change the uh, Batman costume in the movies, it look a little bit more like that in the comics, even mm-hmm. if it's not necessary. Just to, just for brand synergy. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Bill Bixby, best known for the Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he 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 did he, uh, he directed a lot of TV. Yeah. He uh, he was the magician. Uh, in but this yeah. in this movie, he's playing Maverick essentially. Basically, he's, uh, he's, he's a, an itinerant gambler who's passing mm. through. Uh, it's it's the old west. I think it's like eighteen. The, it's the gold 90s. rush. The gold rush. It's the gold rush. And uh, yeah, he's passing through a, a little town in the south. I think it's like outside it's California. Of New Orleans. It's California. No, he's headed to New Orleans, but it's in California. They oh, okay. they specifically right, said right, it's right, right. in he's, California. He's, he's going to New Orleans. He's in California. Yeah, that's his dream. He wants to go to New Orleans. Uh, and he uh, engages in a, a gambling match uh, mm-hmm. before the opening credits, uh, and he wins. Yeah. Uh, then uh, the next day, he is getting something... You're getting slightly wrong. So uh, basically, it's a little bit like Casablanca. Everyone's like hanging out in this mm-hmm. uh, saloon, and then this one like Weasley guy runs in and says, Hey, I've got these letters of transit, and I need someone to take them off my hands because I'm going out of town. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, Bill Bixby's just like, oh, but you owe me money. And the guy's like, okay, fine. Uh, here's here's five dollars. And what's going on is I've got some stuff coming in it, off of a off of a coach, and I just need someone to pick it up for me, and just just take it off my hands. And he's like, oh, okay, fine. I need the five bucks. So he takes the five bucks, gambles it, loses it, but he'll get whatever's coming off of this uh, stagecoach. Sure enough, what's on the stagecoach the next day is cherubic children. Disney children. Disney children. Carved out of angel food cake. Uh, oh, Disney. They are uh, sweet. In it. Well, this is this is a Disney film, so everything's very clean. Everything is uh, relatively harmless. There's yeah. there's no grit or edge to uh, any Disney production. Mm. Uh, even when they got David Lynch to direct a film, yeah. it has no edge to it. Uh, yeah. David Lynch made a G-rated film yeah. for Disney. The Straight, Straight Story. Story. Yeah. Maybe their best live-action film. Uh, yeah. Maybe, certainly, yeah. certainly not the Apple Dump Gang. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, these these three boring cherubic kids. Uh, there's a twelve year old boy, a ten year old girl, and a young girl is like maybe five or six. No, it's, and, it's, uh, it's two boys, isn't it? No, it's, 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 well, there's well, there's three kids, and there's the youngest girl is the one who's mm-hmm. who gets the most screen time because she like moons over Bill Bixby and yeah, warms and, the warms his icy heart and. Uh, Bill Bixby, at first, he's very much taken aback. This is a story I'm used to seeing in Three Men and a Baby, where yeah. they get the baby and they, they're not really sure what to do with it. So Bill Bixby doesn't know what to do with these kids. Yeah, he has no place to put them up. He doesn't. He's not interested yeah. in looking after them. So he goes around town talking to everybody, yeah. trying to pawn these kids off on whoever will take them. And I think uh, uh, you know this is something that we can all appreciate that uh, you know sometimes just life happens, mm. gets in the way when you're making uh, other plans, uh, which brings us to our sponsor. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, hoping a, I was hoping a segue would present itself, and that's the best I got. All right, um, but we have to read this thing. We do have a sponsor, so why, why don't we stop there while while uh, Bill Bixby is uh, going around town, yeah, trying to pawn children off on others. <laughs> Let's stop here and read an ad while he does that. Um, We'll be right back. Uh, the, the, the Players Tribune has a mental health podcast. It's called Blindsided, and that's their sponsor of our show. It's hosted by a, a former NHL goalie named uh, Corey Hirsch, a psychiatrist named Dr. Diane McIntosh. Uh, here is our copy. Uh, plan your work and work your plan. 
Uh, for many athletes, sayings such as this could be considered scripture, permanent signposts lining the long road to success in sports. Uh, for some, the act of pursuing a career in sports can give a sense of control, a sense of safety, so long as you stick to the plan, that is, until life happens. The kind of life that happens while you're busy making other plans. Breakdowns, insecurity, panic attacks, PTSD, addiction, sudden life changes, ones that require an athlete to toss aside their well-laid plans and answer the next question, what's your next play? Blindsided is a podcast about sports, mental health, and life. So, listen to that. Yeah, there that's the only thing you can do. Oh, look, Bill Bixby's back. Oh, Bill Bixby. He's... Bill Bixby sadly <laughs> could not get rid of those children, mm. and now he's stuck with them. Also, in the meantime, uh, Bill Bixby has started kind of, sort of, spending time with a uh, uh, a tomboyish lady. She mm. reads rather non-binary now, but I don't think they had the words for that, in, even when they were making no. the movie. Uh, played by Susan Clark. Uh, she is tough as nails and wears pants and, um, she's, she's charming as hell. I like her in this a lot. Uh, but, um, they've got a somewhat adversarial relationship, but she really likes the kids. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And it turns out the kids also, uh, they're here because their parents died and the asshole who fled town, is like their only living relative. Mm. Uh, but they brought with them their one thing. They've got one thing, one bit of inheritance, and that's an old gold mine. And the idea is, in this town, it's called Quake City. Uh, it's all tapped out. You know, there was there's some no, gold. They no found, gold. They found some yeah. gold. The people that made put put up stakes, so now they're here. But it's not a gold rush town anymore. There's no gold to be found. And indeed, when the kids say, "But we've got this gold mine," Bill Bixby's like, "If there was gold there, we would be mining it right mm. now." And uh, he goes off to gamble one day The kid and just says, you guys just go do whatever. Yeah. And the kids... Be- because uh, anytime before the year 1995, people just let their kids roam around in the middle of the day. Well, that was pretty common. I know. My, my, my mom tells stories about how she was just, as a young child, she was like six, seven years old, would just get dropped off at the movie theater with no adult. Yeah. And just spend the day there. Yeah. Uh, people, her, just, her, people, unsupervised children or latchkey kids. Mm-hmm. That was the law of the land for as yeah, long they, uh, as most people could remember. Uh, my mom likes to tell stories of how, how her mom locked her out of the house. Oh, God. It's like, go outside and play. Okay, and they'd go outside and play, and she would lock the door and wouldn't unlock it until sundown. Wow. <laughs> Stay out. <laughs> it's very hands-off in the 1950s and yeah. 60s. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's all very apocalypse, you know, survival of the fittest. If they come back... Mm. They, they deserve you, you dinner. You get to keep your kids. And if, yeah. if, if they if they don't, yeah, they weren't strong enough. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the kids left to their own devices, wander into the mine. It's like, well, let's check it out. We're bored, and wouldn't you know it, they find a gold nugget the size of a dead Great Dane. The idea, this and, gold uh, nugget, it was worth, and, and someone ran the math. I found it online. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nineteen million dollars today. That's how big that gold nugget is. Yeah, and, and it's they, gigantic. They, they, they give it amount too, because. Yeah. They find it, they take it back to mm. uh, the town, and they put it in a bank vault. Yeah. And everybody gets to see it. It's, like, behind bars. It's in a cage. Yeah. Because uh, it's, so, it's, it's novel. Mm. Yeah. There's a, a there's a, a casino in Las Vegas where they have $1 million in cash just in a big pile on a table. <laughs> oh, oh it's, my it's, God. It's cut. Co- well, it's, I mean, it's covered with, like, you know, three-inch thick plasticine. Oh, yeah. You know, casing. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, my of... God, I want to steal it. I'm saying, oh, my God, I want to see that much money. Yeah, well, that, and that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, it, it's it's almost like this really pathetic tease. It's like, well, you're losing all your money gambling. You'll never really win, but here's what it would look like. Yeah. And you can have your picture taken with this big pile of money. Yeah. But John Mulaney had a bit about that. When you hear about, like, how much movies cost, like, oh, this movie costs $200 million. I would pay a, a full ticket price. Just to see that much money, just to walk in, just to be in a room with that much cash. I would, uh, you know, like, and honestly, I would. (laughs) That's more novel to me than seeing superheroes punch each other. Is to be in a room with that much (laughs) cash. I've never been in a room with that much cash before. You've heard people say before, like when an expensive production and it's just not a good production. Yeah, Uh, a common criticism. It's like watching money burn on screen. Yeah, common phrase. I would like to see that. Oh yeah, I want to see two hundred million dollars in cash. Yeah, burnt yeah. on camera. It, it can as long well, as that they, takes. They did that in the Dark Knight. No, I want to see it for real. Okay, well that's that's just illegal. 
Okay. Like, he'll, he'll crash the economy if you do that. Fine. Okay. Jeez. Admittedly, it would be noteworthy. I've seen that movie a couple times. We're not encouraging anyone to do this, just so we're clear. Um, I'm encouraging big studios to do it because yeah. I, I can't encourage people to do it. They don't have $200 million. Anyway, this movie is continuing apace, and we haven't even like talked about, like, this is like halfway through the movie that all this is happening. Before then, we've had the kids, like, dropped in a mining cart. And, like, ran oh, down a yeah, mountain and, like, ran through, like, an expensive mirror. And you know it would have carved up their eyeballs. And then they, like, crashed into, like, a big expensive harmonium that someone, like, imported in from the East Coast. And they're just they're just wrecking everything. And you can totally see why no one's taking in these kids. Disney kids are a tradition that I cannot get behind. Hmm. There is a particular tradition of children in Disney movies... Who are some kind of weird, bland ideal of what kids, quote unquote, should be. Mm. And occasionally they'll make a good movie around them. Like Mary Poppins is a well-made movie. Those kids are bland as toast. Those, that's toast oh, with Vaseline and, on it. And There's those, nothing to those and kids. And those kids have more personality than most of the kids in these movies. That's true. Um, the, the thing about... Everything about Disney movies is very clean, and the idea of depicting childhood as being generally pretty a pretty easy time. Yeah. And kids are pretty well-behaved, even if they're having a, a, yeah. a difficult time of things. Yeah. Typically, they've lost a parent. That's yeah. a really common thing. Very trail. common. Yeah. Uh, and, and even if they're rapscallions, it's always, like, pretty sympathetic. Or, or they, you know, they, like, they might get into a little trouble. But then they befriend a friendly alien or a basketball-playing golden retriever, and yeah. everything's okay again. Yeah. Uh, there's not too much in the way of actual real-life misery. With one Uh, exception from this era. Oh? The original Pete's Dragon. Oh, I haven't seen the original Pete's Dragon. fucking nightmare of a movie. Okay. (laughs) It's like this this kid is, like, living with the most, most like, Dickensian, awful parents in the world, and they just torture him to hell, and when he runs away and befriends... Uh, a magical animated dragon. There's like uh, a snake oil salesman who wants to like have a song about chopping up the dragon and like selling off each little piece of its corpse. Oh, and that sounds it's, fun. Yeah, it is. It's a very different film. <laughs> it's, it's a very mean movie compared to most of the Disney crap. Right. The Disney crap, the crap that Disney was putting out. The, the 70s were not a good time for Disney. They had some hits. Hmm. But... When we think of Disney well, as from, this... From the, 19, from the end of the 50s yeah. all the way through 89, yeah. Disney was in this like big extended fallow period where they were they were stretching into TV. Yeah. Went you know, with the wonderful world of Disney. That's how they were sort of keeping the brand alive. Well, and, the, brand was, the, the brand was the amusement park. Uh, yeah. That, that's that, what was the, selling I was, everything. And yeah. I was just about to say that. And the theme parks were the other thing. The, again, I think, you're, I think that's a bit too broad a thing because the early 60s, they had stuff like 101 Dalmatians, huge mega hit, oh, well, the parent yeah. trap, these things are doing fine but from like the late 60s through like the mid 80s uh the hits were coming fewer and further between for disney and when you think about like the handful of films in this period that you probably know and or love uh like the love bug Mm. uh, which spawned a successful franchise uh the animated robin hood which has a huge uh, huge fan base the many adventures of winnie the pooh which is a very good film um you also have a lot of stuff that, like, oh, right, didn't they do the cat from outer space? Didn't they mm-hmm. do uh, Gus with, like, well, Don uh, Knotts and a donkey who, oh, sorry, a mule who plays football? Mm-hmm. Didn't uh, they a, do... A lot uh, of these uh, films were directed by Norman Tokar, yeah. who did the Apple Dumpling Gang. Yeah. Uh, he did the, the cat from outer space. He did mm-hmm. Candle Shoe. Did he uh, do the gnome mobile? Because this has total gnome mobile vibes. No, this is not the gnome mobile. The gnome mobile is a I weird was, fucking film. I think film. it was Vincent McAvity who did most of the others. Um, the gnome mobile is the did, only uh, Disney movie I can think of that ends in a big sex party. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's about a gnome who's like, you know, alone in the wilderness. And he's worried that he cannot continue the gnome line because there are no female gnomes. So he teams up with the kids from Mary Poppins and their rich uncle, grandfather, I forget the relation. I think he's their grandfather, yeah. And uh, they're going to take this gnome to find hot lady gnomes. And along the way, the gnomes get kidnapped and it's a whole thing. But it ends with them finding the lady gnomes. And it turns out that, like, 
whichever lady gnome catches you gets to have you. And it turns into this big, giant, weird Benny Hill Hugh Hefner thing. <laughs> and it's super fucking weird. It's a very strange film, the Gnome Very weird fucking film. Uh, but no, um, uh, Norman Tokar also did, uh, he said he did Candle Shoe, did yeah. The Boatniks. Oh, the Boatniks. The boat. I almost forgot that classic. Not just the a, Boatniks. Not a Boatnik, but the Boatniks. Yeah. Um, the horse in the gray flannel suit. Oh yeah. Uh, the happiest millionaire with Fred McMurray. Yeah. Uh, the ugly dachshund. That's a cute uh, film. I like that film. The ugly dachshund is just a different dog. No, it's a, it's a great Dane. Yeah. It's like it's like it's basically like imagine if the one hundred one Dalmatians, but instead of both people having a Dalmatian, like one person had like a half dozen troublemaking dachshunds, the other one had a Great Dane who's just like old and trying not to get into trouble, but everyone blames the Great Dane for everything and the dachshunds can do no wrong. It's a harmless kids thing, but it's cute. It works. Uh, and also Big Red and Savage Sam, which were dog films back in the in yeah. The 60s. Well, Savage Sam was a so we we covered this on not on Disney Plus. Savage Sam is the long forgotten sequel to Old Yeller. Yeah, yeah. And we, remember remember in Old Yeller how like that's really sad story about the dog and it, and it dies and it's like ah oh, it like traumatized so many people. They had a sequel where it turns out there's another dog named Sam, and Sam has to team up with um oh what's his name um. Tommy Kirk is the team up with Tommy Kirk to like rescue people who have been kidnapped by really offensive native American stereotypes. Uh, that movie's fucked up. (laughs) That movie is not right. That movie is, there's a reason nobody talks about that fucking thing. What Disney thought uh, was good, wholesome entertainment, Uh uh, like throughout most of their career, uh, still, uh, derives from, um, essentially, Boys' adventure novels. Yeah. And I've, I've talked about boys' adventure novels before. Uh, and those were typically about uh, the American frontier in a lot mm-hmm. of cases, uh, farm life, uh, very yeah. sort of natural settings. Yeah. So, sometimes, they, they uh, were very, uh, really sometimes, urban bound. Sometimes international locales, like, you know, going to an island somewhere, yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Swiss Family Robinson, that kind of yeah, vibe. A, um, yeah. Castaway cowboy, a cowboy yeah. in, in mm-hmm. tropical islands. Uh, and they all. all Either involved like plucky kids in such a setting, or brave uh, archetypal hero types, do gooders. Yeah, usually yeah. Uh, like white men. Uh, yeah, out, out in out in the wild. Massive colonialist uh, vibes. The, oh no, for sure. Um, I yeah. believe a, a lot of it derives from the success of uh, Davy Crockett, but I'm not sure if that's even the flashpoint or, or mm-hmm. just a part of the trend. Well, that was a huge that was a huge flashpoint for Disney. Davy for, Crockett that, was like I'm their big just Disney yeah, was their um, big adventure hero. Uh, 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 franchise extraordinaire. Yeah, and Swiss yeah. Family Robinson was a big hit for them. Uh, later on, they tried to do it again uh, in the early 2000s when Pirates of the Caribbean came out. Yeah. They tried to do that again. Pirates was the big thing. Yeah. That, was a, that, one, that film was a huge hit. They made a bunch of sequels to that one. Mm-hmm. They tried it with... Uh, Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger is definitely in that mold, same director even. Tried John it with John Carter. Carter. Was the same yeah. thing. There was this really attempt struggled. time and time again to do that pulp hero thing again. Uh, eventually, they instead of going to pulp novels, they just went to comic books and bought other characters. I mean, that's proved them to be really successful. I maintain this is a character that they bought, or at least rented. Mm. I don't know. I, I assume they still have the rights. Uh, I maintain that their best version of this they ever did was The Rocketeer. Yeah, The yeah. Rocketeer sings. That movie holds up so damn good. Like everything and, and about was, it, and is that amazing. was yeah, boys' yeah. pulp adventure yeah. novel. But that one worked. They understood. This, Joe, Joe Johnson understood the tone. Yeah, the, they needed uh, the strike. Th- this was, and this is part of uh, sort of the overall gendering of Disney as a company. Yeah, they seem to have bifurcated between male and female entertainments. Yeah, uh, where not that boys and girls can't watch each other's entertainment, or that but, uh, only exclusively one gender yeah, was but, in both. But, but like, it, it yeah. seems like uh, for many many years, thanks to their the Disney Princess brand. Mm-hmm. Which was a big, big part of their money-making uh, empire. Yeah, uh, they were making a lot of fairy tales with female protagonists and musical films. You know, your be- your Little Mermaids, your Beauties and the Beast, uh, and those were getting huge, huge numbers. Big audiences were going to see that, but those weren't getting a young male audience. Yeah, uh, young men weren't buying the princess merch. And they tried time and time again to get young men involved. And this in, is less of a problem sort of, with like Disney and than anything else than with the idea that, frankly, almost mm. all merchandise catering towards children is highly gendered. It, and it still is. I was yeah. really shocked 
when I had a kid. Yeah. Uh, six years ago. I was shocked to, when I went to, to Toys R Us to see how gendered things still were. Yeah, here's the pink section. Yeah, here's... Yeah. The, here was... There was a boys and a girls school bus. It's a bus. Yeah. Boys and girls ride on buses. Yeah. The boys' bus yeah. was a yellow school bus. Because there's so much... And the and it the really, girls' bus was purple. W- without getting into a long mm. tirade about that, it just goes to show you like how much of the idea that gender roles... the You you're, you use have one gender, there's only one, lie. Mm. Uh, and uh, it has to serve a certain function and a role. You have to like these things. Mm. And how that is crammed down... Uh, uh, the the brain pans yeah, of every that, child really early on from from everywhere. Yeah, like the yeah. whole the whole economic system is built upon and gendering, and, and it's and there was a reason we talk about it and why people are trying to like maybe change that because there, it's and there's uh, very limiting. There are some some study. I wish I knew could like cite these mm. studies, but there are some studies uh, like that. There's a bit of a chicken and egg thing going on mm. that uh, boys and girls. Uh, and uh, end up being drawn to certain kinds of toys. So there's a lot of catering to existent impulses, but a lot of it is just we're gendering our toy stores and mm-hmm. boys only get to play in this section and girls only get to play in this section. Yeah. And I feel like that gendering was very prominent in Disney's entertainments and they were struggling for a long time to get boy gendered entertainment. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of these movies were sort of sifting through or attempting to do. They were trying to get this sort of yeah. uh, boys' adventure novel vibe. And I feel like the Apple Dumpling Gang is young kids in the frontier. It's the Old West. Mm-hmm. There's a comedic element because the the bad guys, the bank thieves, yeah, are, are, are hapless. C- comedic uh, yeah. comic relief characters. They're losers. They're losers. Yeah. They, could, they could easily be defeated. Not that they actually run afoul of the kids that much, but they could easily be defeated by three small children yeah. who were even halfway paying attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's that element to it. But what's weird is that it would make sense to me if this was from the perspective of the children. No, like it's from it opened, Bill Bixby's perspective. Yeah, it's, it should be from the perspective of the kids, if you think about it, because they're the ones who, A, they've just lost someone, they're undergoing some real drama, all they've got is each other, they're alone in the frontier, anything could happen to them here, and they have to sort of survive by their own sense of pluck. They're the ones who find the damn gold. <laughs> and yet, this, it's Bill Bixby's story. The kids are a hindrance to him. He doesn't want to be around them, and as a result, because he sees them as a hindrance to the plot, the audience is encouraged to as well. And they, frankly, they wreck every single thing that they touch. So part of me is like, I get it, Bill. I get why you want to not be around these kids. There's, they're, they're, they're cute, I guess, but there's really nothing. They, they, they're, they're not forming like a meaningful connection to him well, other than he's responsible for their well-being and he cares as a human yeah. being would. There, there's one moment where I think the kids actually get to have like a little bit of a personality. Mm, which and, and the kids move as a unit. Like there's the, yeah. the, the young one and there's two others. And who they, ha- they have no distinct uh, personalities yeah, really um, among them, yeah. But Bill Bixby has been working really hard. He finally finds somebody who's going to look after them. And he doesn't have to worry about them anymore. And they've been watching this whole time while he's trying to get rid of them. And they're not hurt by this. In fact, they're kind of amused. Like, "Uh you can't get rid of us. We're (laughs) we're here forever. Like, they're they're a little bit kind kind of winking at him a little bit. And they finally find somebody. And there's a scene where they just, they lay a guilt trip on him. Where he's like, okay, here's a dinner to celebrate that you got rid of us cute little children. Now let's go wash the dishes and not bother him. <laughs> like I thought that was a cute moment where yeah. the kids actually got to sort of lay a little bit yeah. of a guilt trip on Bill Bixby. Uh, eventually, once, once they find the gold... Everyone in town is like, sure, we'll take care of those kids. And now Bill Bixby's the only one with any sort of morals, even though he was the one who had none before. Mm. And that's a kind of a fun twist. Yeah, actually, yeah. that's that's a cute reversal. Uh, because I, I don't think he's allowed to look after them as a single father. There's some line of dialogue to that, uh, um, that effect. It, it's well, the idea is that now that they're now there's actually like really important that they find. Not just someone to take care of the kids, but someone to manage the kids' money. Mm. And as a result, the uh, the judge, uh, played by what's his name from Dragnet, and the Oxbow incident, and the Oxbow incident. Yeah, we just saw him in the Oxbow incident. Yeah, his name is something or other, and he's fine. <laughs> uh, it's the guy Harry Morgan. Her- Harry Morgan. Harry Morgan plays the town judge and also the town uh, uh, barber. Uh, 
he uh, and the sheriff, which I don't think you're allowed to do. I think you're allowed to be a barber and a sheriff. I think you got to pick one. Uh, he's he's holding. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be a judge and a sheriff. I don't think you're supposed you to do that. You can't be a barber and a sheriff. <laughs> yeah, what do you save some room for others? What kind of weird fucking madness is this? <laughs> you got to monopolize the whole trade. Um, uh, but he basically just says, yeah, if you wanted to like take care of these kids, if you wanted to guarantee that they don't go to someone weird, uh, the best thing you could do is get married and show stability and stuff. And so he agrees to enter a marriage of convenience. Uh, with Magnolia, played by Susan Clark, they like each other fine, but they they have no romantic chemistry to speak of, no, and it's it, because the it's because she's queer. I mean, that's, that's because what, she's that's queer. what I'm getting from Honestly, this movie. She reads as queer, and he well, they both read as queer because she reads as non-binary, and he reads as, as asexual. Well, and that's that's Disney for you. They don't yeah. put a lot of sexuality but into their these kinds it's, of romances. It's not, it's not like she's like, oh, not the type of girl that I like. He has, shows no interest whatsoever in mm. romance, in in sexuality, yeah, I, in women, in anything, he, even he does, men. He doesn't he just yeah, he yeah. doesn't read as queer. Uh, the, the most you could say about sort of his how his character reads, like the sexuality, how his character reads, mm. is uh, is that he's a bit of a fop. Uh, in that, I got an ace he, fine, that but that's fine. In it's, that he's uh, yeah. in that he's a, a, a gambler and he wears nice shirts. That's a, as far as it goes. And, and when he when they and, get and married, when, and when, when we're pointing to his shirts as a symbol of his sexuality, we know there's nothing. Here. <laughs> exactly, my there's point. like nothing to grab. So onto. when they get married, she flat out says, "Listen, I'll marry you, but you have to promise we'll never have sex." And he's like, I can guarantee that. And so they do. And then they get married. And it's kind of like this last minute shotgun marriage kind of thing. Well, there's no shotgun. But, you know, get married real fast. They get married in a barbershop. Bada bing. You're out of here. Um, and uh, he, as soon as they're married, they like shake hands. They don't even kiss. And he says, great. I'm going to a bar. Mm. And he says, "You take care of the kids." And she's like, "Oh, is this how this is how it's gonna?" Okay, well, great. And, and while she's taking care of the kids, she stops by the sundry shop where he's yeah. bought some things. Like, could you pick yeah. some stuff up? Yeah. And uh, notices that he's bought a nice big bed. Uh huh. And this th- throws her for a loop. She cannot bear the fact. Yeah, that, that she might have to a, sleep with Bill might... Bixby. So no. So no. So, so no, she no. runs into the saloon the, the... and beats the living shit out of him mm. and tears the place apart because she thinks Bill Bixby might want to have sex with her and then Bill Bixby when he can finally get a word in edgewise he finally finds out what she's mad about he says I bought the bed for the kids they don't have a place to sleep they don't have a nice (laughs) bed I bought bought a big bed for the two boys to share and I bought a smaller bed for the daughter and that's it I promise I will never have sex with you and she's like well you should have said something and then she walks away that, that she gets so mad at the thought yeah. of having sex with a man is yeah. is it's pretty says clear, a lot, pretty it? clear indicator this of something. Is, this anyway. is not this is not subtle. This is not subtle stuff here. I mean, I, they don't come out and say it, but I don't know how much more they need to say. I, I kind of wish they did. I but, know. Uh, I agree. I agree. It's frustrating, it's, but that's not the era in which we live. No, well, and it's still not the era in which we live. They, wow. There's still still a lot of coding going on, or sing, yeah. single word covers for people's uh, yeah. sexuality. But the plot the plot continues akimbo, where uh, uh, <laughs> Tim Conway and Don Knotts decide they're going to steal that big old nugget of gold, hmm. and they're going to do it in the middle of the night. And this leads to a pretty amusing sequence. Where there's a big ladder and it gets like shoved through an entire building, like there's, on the side, and they have to pretend yeah. like it's nothing. There's a, yeah, the, the sequence where they have to sneak into the firehouse with yeah. the sleeping firefighters and uh, get the extending extension ladder off of the yeah the fire truck is, is pretty is, great. Is a pretty good bit of physical comedy. And then they have to like get into the top of the bank, and in order to do that, Don Knotts ties a rope around himself. And like throws the rope over the building, and then Tim Conway is gonna have a mule to sort of walk forward. It's gonna lift Don Knotts up. Mm. But what Tim Conway doesn't realize is that the three kids have just shown up, and Don Knotts is trying to pretend that nothing is happening. Well, so he's like floating up off the ground. <laughs> it's just like, oh hey kids, how you doing? You should probably uh, go to bed now. It's pretty late. It's like, oh that's okay. We're just looking out for Bill Bixby. And Don Knotts is like, great. You should really get going here. Why are you floating two inches above the ground? No, I'm not. And he just starts getting higher. That's the funniest joke in the whole movie. That's a, I haven't seen that joke before. That's every other joke in this movie I've seen. That's a joke I haven't seen before. Don Knotts knows to play it completely straight. 
Never yeah. break it. Never pretend. Never acknowledge what's happening. As, as That's we, a funny bet. As I said, he's he's the straight man. In, yeah. in this uh, in this comedy, Tim Conway is the the comedic side. There's a bit yeah. where Tim Conway is just rolling a cigarette, uh-huh. and he's like completely messing it up. Uh-huh. He keeps dropping st- like just. I I can imagine a Tim Conway bit with like 30 minutes long of him just trying to roll a cigarette. We- he tries to lick it and he pushes the tobacco out of the paper. It's yeah. it's. Hilarious little bits of physical comedy. We we did uh, on our on our not on Disney Plus show on Patreon, which is still available by the way. It's back it's backlogged, but you can still search for it. Um, we did a film called The World's Greatest Athlete, starring Tim, Tim Conway, Conway and uh, yeah. Jan Michael Vincent was uh, the lead, and it was basically this really shitty Tarzan riff where a uh, modern day football coach is on vacation in Africa and sees. Jan Michael Vincent is a modern day Tarzan and he brings him back. And it's one of the very few like big sports movies. that's about track and field <laughs> and he brings him back to play track and field and stuff. But the, the weird bit is there's like a voodoo doll bit. Remember this where like, he's trying yeah, to like show up that voodoo dolls don't work. And like the, the coach like, is trying to like, just say, like, Oh, see, this, this is nothing. It means nothing. Meanwhile, everything he's doing to the doll, Tim Conway is doing in the background and no one a, notices. There's a bit where he throws it and Tim Conway is just like flung like, out of a window. Like, like, no, he's, he like gently glides through the air. Yeah. Like uh, across the entire room. And Tim Conway is, is completely unaffected by this. Like he's trying to grab a doorknob and he's yanked away. Yeah. And then he's like just, a, sort of, just another Tuesday for Tim. Just, Floated across the room again. Okay, my tree. Oh, I'm floating again. Uh, Tim Conway is is a comedy genius. I love yeah. Tim Conway. He's 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 very nonplussed and very affable. Mm. Don Knotts. Don Knotts is funnier when he's mean. You I'm just so? gonna say it. I think Don Knotts is funnier when he's mean because Don Knotts doesn't read as mean. And so when Don Knotts is trying to pretend to be intimidating, mm. it's just funnier. There's an urban legend about Don Knotts, and this was shared by my family. I come from a long line of Marines. Okay. Um, Don Knotts, I believe, was in the Marines. But there is a, a, a long-standing urban legend that Don Knotts was not only a Marine, that he was a drill instructor, a drill sergeant, and he was the most feared drill instructor in the whole Marine Corps. <laughs> like, like the story goes that, like, you know that guy in a full metal jacket? Don Knotts was worse. Oh, jeez. Like, that's the story. That is not true. But that's the story. And you can picture it, kind of, can't you? Can't you just picture getting, like... Just, just chewed out by Don Knotts. The comedian Dana Gould liked to do a Don Knotts impersonation on stage, yeah. and of course, he made Don Knotts say like inappropriate stuff. Of course, like, he here's, did. here's Don Knotts giving a dirty telephone call. Um, I could, I could picture like a Dana Gould bit. It's like you, you better drop and give me ten, maggot. Like in that sort of yeah. broken voice way that Don Knotts had. Yeah. Um, but in any case, they, uh, they fail. To, to steal the nugget, and there's actually a pretty funny bit. Well, they, they don't the, just fail. They lower themselves in through the skylight, uh, but they're both suspended off the ground, tied up in the ropes. So, so they're, they're stuck. Sort of, they're just sort of dangling there. And, and everyone just walks in the next morning and just sees them dangling there. So they're they're idiots, and they have they're, a, they're well known criminals. Yeah, but they're well they're never in jail because they never succeed at being criminals. They're completely harmless. They just try to be harmful, and so uh, the judge basically just says, "Okay, we find you guilty of grand larceny, or at least attempted grand larceny, and uh, we sentence you to hang by your necks until you are dead. Uh, please, we're going to let you go on your own reconnaissance. Please come back tomorrow and bring your own rope." And that's a weird dark moment and until you realize that uh, Harry Morgan is basically just saying I just want them to leave town <laughs> I don't actually, they're so stupid they might actually show up but well, I yeah. just want them to leave I want to scare them so much that they, I'm tired of this shit I just want them out of here uh, the film has to conclude in some way, so we actually need a real threat, some sort of drama, other than yeah. people just sort of arguing or figuring out who's going to stay with the kids. So there are actually some dangerous criminals as well yeah. floating around the periphery, uh, uh, led by Slim Pickens. The great Slim Pickens, who you probably know best from Blazing Saddles and Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. Uh, great Western icon. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he... He is. He leads a whole gang. They're familiar with Tim Conway and Don Knotts. I, they, I think they, they used to be part of his gang. Tim Conway and Don Knotts used to be like the comic relief characters in their gang, and then they accidentally shot Slim Pickens, and so they've been like kind of hiding out from them ever since. Uh, but Slim Pickens, because of them, gets wind of this gold and decides to ch- charge the town and steal the nugget and take yeah. over the city. And it ends in a gigantic shootout. 
that, like that, a really long, like mm-hmm. like the end of Hard Boiled is like a not as long as the shootout at the end of the Apple Dumpling so, yeah, Gang. It's, it's a shootout. It's a chase. Uh, it's yeah. a lot of movement and action. Yeah. And it's completely not at all entertaining. But no no stunts uh, to speak of that are particularly exciting. Someone jumps off a horse onto a stagecoach for a second. I'm sure it was a tough stunt. Bless whoever had to do it. But that's it. It's it's very uh, standard Western shtick. But somehow this big action sequence does resolve something. And uh, Bill Bixby uh, and and, and wife get to adopt the kids. Well, there's there's a big, uh, 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 one of those big old sticks of dynamite. It's like six sticks of dynamite all rolled into like Mm. one. And... uh, Don Knotts and Tim Conway are desperately trying not to drop this thing so it won't explode. And that at some point it does. And what it does is it explodes this gigantic gold nugget into little smaller nuggets. Mm. And everyone in town just starts, you know, just start sifting through stealing nuggets. And I'm like, you know, we know those belong to those kids, right? If you found gold, you know it was mm. their property and you're stealing it. Not sure how that works. Well, but the, the kids talk about they don't even care about the money. They just want to be with Bill Bixby. Mm. Which is uh, low, low, it, low bar, if you ask me. But if you saw a bunch of like cash blowing around on the freeway, would you pull over and pick some up? I'm and not saying not, it's I'm not, not yours, saying, but if I knew whose it was, I wouldn't. Okay, I'm not saying like I'm not if 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 a twenty dollar bill just floats in front of me, and that's no one's saying and no one's yelling, "Hey, that's mine!" I I would grab it. Yeah, out of politeness, I wouldn't want it to like get lost, and I'll just put it away. Uh, but if I, if like, if you knew it was like someone in your town, someone you knew intimately, a neighbor, it's like some, some neighbor was like, Hey, someone stole my motorcycle yesterday. And here you are with like their gas tank. Would you give it back? Or would you say, well, it's not technically a motorcycle anymore. (laughs) It's just a gas tank now. No, you should give it back. It's kind of fucked up. But anyway, they decide uh, uh, to stay married for real. And one of the... I, I hate this trope and, so well, fucking much. Where, where she appears in the dress. Yeah, basically the, the, the idea is Bill Bixby has gone through a character arc because he has gone from not caring about anything except himself to caring about others. It's a cliche, but it works. Mm. It's a nice lesson for us all to learn. Uh, she goes through... A, a storyline in which at the beginning of the movie she wore pants and at the end of the movie mm. she wears a dress. It's Ali Sheedy syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess to kinda yeah. I was I always think of uh, Laura Croft's Tomb Raider is another one of those oh, where at the, the very ending of Laura Croft she shows up in a dress. Like she shows up at her dad's grave, but now she's in a dress to show that I guess she's learned something. Or um well, Laura, Laura or another, can wear whatever the hell she wants. Granted, but, but she didn't want to wear that until the very ending. Or, or, or actually, another good example is um, slightly different example is another Disney film, Saving Mr. Banks, where you know that P.L. Travers has become a better person because it cuts to like one year later and she's wearing pastels. That's right. Awful. God, um, so that's Th- there's nothing that's, good about that movie. <laughs> uh, Colin Farrell is good in that movie. Col- yeah, okay, maybe Colin Farrell. And this Colin is the uh, um, um, who's Rachel Griffiths oh, plays the the Mary yeah. Pop- the, the real the life whole, Mary all the flashback character. sequences in that movie are fine. It's all the stuff in the Disney era yeah, that's fake. But uh, in any case, uh, yeah, they all they all abscond to be together and live on a farm. And then Tim Conway and Don Knotts are like, hey, we've decided not to be criminals anymore. Can we work for you? And they're like, sure, whatever. Let's end this goddamn travesty. So the, the Apple Dumpling Gang is not uh, Don Knotts and Tim Conway. No. Uh, Apple Dumplings are actually the thing that ingratiated the kids to Bill Bixby. Yeah. We kind of skimmed over that part. Yeah. Uh, when they uh, they want to eat something. He has no food. And he says, and they say, well, we want apple dumplings. And he's like, I don't have apple dumplings. I can't make apple dumplings. And if I did, I wouldn't give them to you. And then when they get money, the first thing they do is they go to a restaurant and eat apple dumplings. That's happy. it. That's they're, as far as that shit goes. They're an apple dumpling gang. And, and again, that's an awful title. I'm not thinking of food when the phrase apple dumpling comes into my head. <laughs> thank, I'm, thank I'm you. thinking it's of very classy, plenty I mean. of gross things. Uh, um, it almost sounds like a booger code. Thank you. Um, uh, this led to a sequel called The Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again. Uh, that one was directed by Vincent McAvity. Oh. Don Knotts and Tim Conway returned. Harry Morgan returned as a different character, and Kenneth Mars co stars. Uh, Kenneth Mars would be in. He'd he'd be at the opening of a post office. (laughs) 
he'd, he'd do anything. <laughs> Granted, but he'd always be good. Um, this also led, and I didn't know about this one. There was, uh, first off, there was a TV remake uh, called Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang, uh, co-starring Ed Begley Jr. in the Tim Conway role. Okay. And then, a year later, there was a six-episode television series that was quickly canceled called Gunshy. With Barry Van Dyke. Barry Van Dyke, Tim Thomerson, not, not to Jeffrey Dyke, Lewis. Not Jerry Van Dyke. No, Barry Van Barry Dyke. Barry Van Dyke. The, the, uh, God, I'm trying he was, to think. He was the younger which, doctor which, on Diagnosis Murder. It, it, the Daniel Baldwin of the, of the Van Dyke family. Well, he, he was the, what's, is there a younger Baldwin? There isn't a second generation Baldwin. I don't think yet, it's a second there? generation Baldwin. There's, because there's Daniel Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin and, and, uh, William Baldwin. Mm. They all, well, I don't even know which one's the lesser Baldwin anymore. <laughs> there's Alec and there's three lesser Baldwins. That's the way it works. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin, I think, got the most work of, Ste- of the others. Stephen Baldwin was in a couple of good movies. I can't yeah. remember. I think William Baldwin was in Flatliners, but that's about it. Yeah. He, but- he had that brief moment where he was in that Cindy Crawford movie, Fair Game, mm. where like maybe he'd be a big action star. Right. He, uh, spoiler alert, he was not. And then uh, uh, Daniel Baldwin was the one from Vampires. Yeah. The most sexist movie John Carpenter oh, ever Oh, golly, made. yes. Oh, my God, is it distracting. It, oh. Anyway. Um, like, I I think John Carpenter thought he was, like, playing with something, but it just, even at the time, it just... No, it just, like, just read as mean. Sexist, it's just yeah. a mean-spirited movie. There's bits in it I like, but any any time Cheryl Lee is on camera, she's being abused in that Yeah, film. Daniel like, Baldwin's, really like, hitting her with balled-up fists yeah. But it's no okay, because she's a vampire. No, it is fucking not. It's a weird attitude you have about this. Beating up a woman on camera. It's, it's cruel. Awful. Anyway, it, the, the Apple Dumpling Gang isn't that mean or vicious or vile. It's just a whole lot of why. Why? Did you just have the set and you needed to do something with it? Well, again, this it's it's the adventure novel thing. Yeah. Where we're on the frontier and we want to tell a frontier story. That's, that yeah. was popular at the time or Disney was at least kept on trying. Uh-huh. Uh, but we can't have... You know, this is not like Sergio Leone. We can't have people no, just, like, I, murdering each other. not asking for so that. No one's asking for that. Li- we can have criminals, but they have to be sort of lighthearted criminals. And we, and we can, can do have, that, too. Bumbling uh, criminals. That's a, always fun. A vicious gangster, but he, or a vicious, me, vicious gambler, but he can't be vicious. He has to be just sort of vaguely irresponsible. It's Maverick. Yeah. He's we, Maverick. Maverick learns to be a dad. Yeah, and, and we get also to, fine. And we get to support uh, uh, the traditional image of the nuclear family. <sighs> Maybe Disney was trying to fight rising divorce rates by showing healthy marriages <laughs> and uh, families finding each other throughout mm. all of this. Maybe. I mean, they're certainly pushing divorce, for conservative family values. This, this is the mid-70s. Divorce rates were going up in the United States. And yeah. you can see that in the entertainment. Uh, not just Kramer versus Kramer, but, you know, look at E.T. It's all single parents from then on out. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it, it was rare you'd see, like... a. The traditional like sitcom nuclear family in entertainment throughout the eighties, or, or even or if you do, or if you were there was they were often like on the outs. Like if you ever watched the movie like The Monster Squad, hmm. um, we don't talk about it a lot. But every time we see the kids, the kids' parents are married, hmm. but every time they're like on their own and they're not interacting with their son. They're fighting, and there's like a bit yeah, towards yeah. the end where you see the mom is about ready to go outside, and she's got a suitcase. We don't talk about it; it's literally never addressed in dialogue. But mom and dad mom were is, getting divorced. Yeah, mom is leaving. Uh, yeah, uh, and then of course it it did show up in sitcoms the uh, same year as the Monster Squad was a sitcom called Married with Children, which yeah. is a satire. Yeah, it's uh, you know a family a nuclear family, but they're all horrible and they all hate each other. Yeah. Like could, the, that that's people talk about like oh they could never make that again you could not you could not get away with married with children today <laughs> married with children is a really well, really tonal, despicable show tonally i don't think people yeah. would, would want to see that kind of joke no, it's just a, a show about people who loathe each other it's it's a weird it's a weird entity man i'm not, it's not it some of it's funny mm. but some of it's also like Really, really. I mean, a lot of it's really, really sexist. A lot of it's really violent. Like it's, there's, it's crass there's, and vile. Yeah. It's, uh, there's, it's, it's, it's just, it's just this hateful, mean thing. Again. I just don't know where there's a place for it. I think you'd have to do it as an animated series now. Like the only thing, Maybe the closest so. thing I can think of is that Netflix series F is for Family, oh, okay. which has okay. kind of that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't think you, I don't think you do it in live action. I think it'd be really no, hard to sell. No, no, no. Uh, my, the point being, um, 
This was Disney's like attempt to stave off that wave. Yeah, and yeah. but you know, Disney of course is also incredibly notorious for having widows and widowers in, mm-hmm. in their movies. You know, look yeah. at all just about every Disney film has a single parent because one of them has died. A lot of them, yeah. You know, Cinderella is the the, the mom and the dad are both there, and it's just yeah. the stepmother that's raising Cinderella now. Um, True. Uh, Little Mermaid. There's only one parent. Uh, yeah, I guess there's that. Frozen, we see the we see both parents die in that yeah. one. It's just the two sisters and they're alone. Uh Pinocchio has a single dad. Tarzan uh, has adopted parents. Tarzan has two adopted parents. Yeah. Uh, and not and not that you need two. Mm. It's fine. Uh Belle from Beauty and the Beast only has a father, and we never yeah. learned what happened to her mother until that remake. Ah, thank you for we, that remake. Because we needed to know what happened to her mother. We need to know that she was really a big city person, which makes her better than everyone else. Yeah, she, and so that means uh, Belle's desire to go to the city is part of a birthright. That's the way that story needed to go. Mm, oh my god, I that. I That's that one of the too. worst goddamn remakes. Anyway, we're off we're off the beaten path. Um the Apple Dumpling Gang, uh if you grew up with this movie, we apologize if we've been kind of mean about it. Um, if you grew up with this movie and you find it charming and light and frothy, I can see why. Uh, I don't think it's aged very well. I don't think it's particularly funny. Well, I, don't uh, think it, it's the, I don't think it's aged badly because there's nothing in here that feels particularly dated other just, than it, the general Disney attitudes. Well, that, but which, that attitude is, is, is outmoded too. at best. Yeah. And, and I think... I just don't think I don't think anyone's going to be really grooving on it. I don't think anyone's going to see this movie today hmm. and see the ending where Susan Clark is wearing a dress and go yeah. Like I don't think anyone's going to really be like on that wavelength. There's oh, going to be like I get it. Hmm. Gonna, that, I think that's the best you could hope for from an audience now. Um, I I can appreciate finding this movie light and harmless. Hmm. Um, it is, and it, it is. It's mostly harmless. It's, there's really it's nothing like horrible there, about there's it. There's nothing it's horrible. A, there's nothing offensive. Yeah. Uh, it's it's even capably put together. It's just dull. It's dull. It's it's, it's, the, the it's not. Hu- it's it's unfocused. Like yeah, the, the, the 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 protagonist shifts from scene to scene, the, so nothing's really driving it forward. It just meanders around. The, the comic bit where uh, Tanots and Tim Conway are stealing the ladder, I think, is kind of funny. That bit's pretty good. But there's nothing to really sort of elicit big laughs, no. and I feel like. That's also been a big problem with Disney, even going way back to their animated shorts. Mm. And I've said this before, uh, the George Geef cartoons notwithstanding, uh-huh. uh, Disney yeah. cartoons are rarely like laugh out loud funny. Yeah. You know, there are exceptions here and there, but Do- mostly. Donald yeah. Duck has his moments. Mickey Mouse, mm. never funny. He's not a funny character. <laughs> Goofy had yeah. some moments besides Go- the George Geefs, but yeah. Maybe. I, 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 I don't find Goofy to be terribly funny. I watched that, I watched that one, um, what's that one where they were Ghostbusters? In like the 40s? I think it was called the it was called the Ghost Breakers, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, they they there I was think, this I one, think that was the one. There was this old look, uh, look it up for me, please. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I recommend it. But there's this old they play they play a lot often at Halloween, uh, where uh, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and Goofy are uh, ghost hunters who are hired by bored ghosts to come to their house and get beat up by the ghosts. That one's pretty funny. I watched that again this like Halloween, and I was like, uh, 1937. It was called Lonesome Ghosts. Lonesome Ghosts. That one's pretty funny. I'll give you that one. That one's pretty funny. Right. There's some funny ones here and there, but they were never really the laugh out loud group. There was yeah, always was, this sort of um, that, that. That's what Warner Brothers was for. If you really wanted to laugh, yeah, you, you watch a Bob Clanker cartoon. You Disney was about uh, Disney was about wonder, I think, mm-hmm. and um, I wonder why they thought the Apple Dumpling Gang was the best way to do that. And I guess I'll well, never this know. this is what comedy was. It, it's not bad. Li- doesn't doesn't make you laugh. Just makes is just generally affable. It fills the time. Yeah, and yeah. and I find that kind of lack of ambition not to be offensive, but to know. be uh, repellent in its own way. Yeah. It, just, it feels like a waste of time. It's so easy to consume that you almost don't want to consume it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I would rather have something that has a little bit of grit or yeah. tries to be funny. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe has, has some ambition somewhere. Even if it's only one of three gags that actually makes you laugh, at least you're going to be laughing a little bit. Yeah. No. That's more notable than something like the Apple Dumpling Gang, which doesn't have a lot of humor or character. Here's here's the test. Here's the final, like, it, 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 if nothing else, mm-hmm. is it better than the Gnome Mobile? Well, the Gnomobile stands apart because it's so friggin' weird, and it has a yeah. gnome orgy at the end. The Apple Dumpling Gang has really no gnome orgy. 
Not one. <laughs> to I be was, fair, I was counting. To be fair, neither uh, does Citizen Kane. So what are we so saying? So what here? I'm saying, that's a flaw with that movie, isn't it? <laughs> 2001: A Space Odyssey. No, no more G's. Your point's been made. Yeah, yeah, so your point Tokyo has been. Your point has not only been made; it has been made beautifully. Your point has been made beautifully. My point, no, and you know, the Nomobile has some interesting special effects because yeah. they used like those photographic things to make the gnomes. There were some weird animatronic animals that were actually kind of interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's th- there's fun things in the Nomobile. It's strange. Yeah, a little off putting, but watchably strange okay there's nothing strange about the apple dumpling gang it's about little moppets who like to eat pastries who fall in with a gambler who eventually marries a woman and and has them and then something blows up at the end yeah but not in a dangerous exciting way. no in a pretty boring off-camera kind of way actually yeah yeah Yeah. all right anyway so we apologize if anyone's a huge fan of the apple dumpling gang it was not our jam Uh, or our (laughs) dumpling uh, next time on critically reclaimed, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, take a shift. Uh, we took we took a shift from Maniac Cop to Apple Dumpling Gang, very different films. And we're gonna take another wild shift again. We're gonna go from Disney Plus to the Criterion Channel, which is one of the better streaming services out there. Uh, they specialize in art house, uh, classic, and international fare. Uh, and uh, yeah, we decided to look at our our the way we narrowed it down. We picked each picked two films from the 1950s mm-hmm. and the nominees and you can vote for this over on our Patreon page are uh, the horror movie Fiend Without a Face. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, is this about like some like mystery guy killing people? This is about invisible monsters that take over brains and spinal columns, disembodied brains and spinal columns, and, leap, and like th- leap through the air and like bite people, somehow. bite people with with their brain mouths and like wrap their spinal columns around them and choke them. I've only ever seen clips. <laughs> it looks amazing. I've seen. Well, I guess I gave just well, the whatever, there, it's fine. Yeah. We, we we don't always have to keep it a secret. Uh, next up is James Stewart. Befriends an invisible bunny and no one believes him in the movie Harvey. And not just is, an invisible bunny, but a, like a six foot tall anthropomorphic rabbit. That yeah. Talks to him. Yeah. Very Donnie Darko, but without all the darkness. Uh, it's one of it's one of his most iconic roles. Hmm. Uh, then we have. Uh, uh, it's a second movie. It's a Stanley Kubrick's second movie, right? Killer's Kiss. Um. It was Fear and Desire. Fear and, then and Desire Kubrick. was his first film. And then, yeah, Stanley yeah. Kubrick made a film yeah. called Killer's Kiss. Uh, the, the, Stanley Kubrick's first two movies are rarely discussed. He considers them kind of practice films. Uh, but Killer's Kiss, I believe, is a boxing film uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick. So there you go. Yeah, we get to talk about that. It's fun. And then lastly, uh, Ingmar Bergman directs a frothy comedy called Smiles of a Summer Night. Um it's Ingmar Bergman's comedy film, and within the first five minutes, somebody bursts into tears for no reason. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing already. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's already. If nothing else, it's on brand. Um, so anyway, so you can vote for any one of those movies, and we'll review. Those are very different films. Yes. <laughs> we, to our credit, we picked four weird ones. Um, these are all available on Criterion Channel, and we'll watch it, whichever one you vote for, next week. The poll should be up more or less all weekend. Um, and, uh, yeah, so stick around, and uh, we'll we'll do that, and it will be neat. And I'm running out of steam because it's after 1 a.m. Right. Uh, so well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We think you're absolutely amazing. Special thank you to all of our patrons, not just for picking today's film, but for your support. It means a lot to us, and we wouldn't be here without you Thank you so at much. All. Thank you, so, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. If you want to talk about anything, you want to talk about the Apple Dumpling Gang, you want to defend the Apple Dumpling Gang, you want to decry the Apple Dumpling Gang, uh, you want to acknowledge the existence of the Apple Dumpling Gang but talk about something else completely, uh, you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net we might read your email on an upcoming episode of we've got mail so feel free to ask us questions ask us recommendations whatever you want to do really we're, mm-hmm. we're open books um also on twitter at critic acclaim i am at william bibiani i'm at whitney seibold uh we have a p.o box whitney what is our p.o box uh, for that kind of correspondence you if you prefer yeah send us an actual letter write it to the critically acclaimed network p.o box 641565 los angeles california 900 Six four, and of course our Patreon is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed. 
Network, we have a soap store. Me and my partner, M. Lapis Da Silva, do. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Salt Cat Soap. We release new soap designs, handcrafted soaps, uh, every month, and sometimes more often than that. Uh, we had a really, really big Christmas season, so we only have a few new ones uh, for January. Uh, but we are coming up on our one-year anniversary, so we might drop a, a one-day sale, so stick around. Ooh. And, of course, Valentine's Day is coming up, and they make great gifts. Mm-hmm. So uh, check us out, Salt Cat Soap. It's our Etsy store. And uh, Whitney sells radio dramas, don't forget. I do indeed. Um, if you're a $20 patron, you get the radio dramas as a perk. Mm-hmm. Uh, no additional cost, just boom, if, there you go. If you want to buy uh, one that I've made, I've made four 30-minute radio dramas. I, the last one's a little shorter, but um, yeah. uh, one, uh, the first one, The Tenth Muse, is about a time-traveling lesbian bar. It has a talking crab in it. Uh, the second one is called Love at Nana. It takes place in a... 1991 in sort of a, a real-life counterculture store and it's a conversation between a clerk and one of the customers. Uh, the third one is about a video cassette that can predict the future and the people who have to listen to what the video cassette has to say and act upon it and maybe do some rather wicked things. And uh, the most recent one is The Christmas Show. And it's after Christmas, but you can listen to it anytime. Uh, and it's about somebody who's stalking Frosty the Snowman for insidious <laughs> reasons. Uh, that, that's kind of the weirdest one of the bunch. It's really um, weird. Yeah, the, I'm selling them for 10 bucks a pop. Uh, or I'll make a deal if you want to buy more than one. Uh, yeah, just contact me on the social medias. Uh, I'm at Whitney Seibold on Twitter. I'm also on uh, Instagram. Just say, hey, I want to buy one of your shows. And I can mail you an MP3. I can email one to you. You can pay with uh, Venmo or PayPal or or even Cash App. I have that. Ooh, I don't have Cash App. Yeah. How luxurious. Um, I'm rolling high now because I have an app on my phone. Uh, anyway, so uh, so that's that. And uh, we'll be back next, uh, next week with more Critically Reclaimed, more Critically Acclaimed, more Patreon-exclusive shows, and the like. So that is it. We don't know how to end this podcast. So instead, I'll just say... Eh? Thank you.